This is Sam Glynn of Code in Motion, and you're listening to Cyber 321, plain English cyber through three articles, two numbers, and one action. It's the 21st of January, and for many listeners, I know it's probably close to your first payday of the year. But remember, don't spend it all in the one shop. This week on Cyber 321, could simulated phishing tests really make your staff more likely to be fooled by a real phishing email in the future? What the Russians have done to one of the world's most successful ransomware gangs? What has ransomware and cryptocurrency got to do with North Korea? And what the hell is the metaverse? This week's action, review your approach to phishing test simulations. So, could simulated phishing tests make staff more susceptible to real phishing emails in the future? And this arises from a report and a study by the Department of Computer Science in the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich, which recently published findings from a large-scale and long-term phishing experiment conducted in collaboration with a partner company. The experiment ran for 15 months and involved over 14,000 employees of the company receiving different simulated phishing emails over the period. It is thought to be the first large-scale and long-term study of the impact that simulated phishing tests have on the security defences of a large organisation. The study confirmed what many previous studies had concluded. For example, adding a warning to suspicious emails reduces the likelihood of staff clicking on links within the emails or performing other dangerous actions. For example, enabling macros on a file that's attached to the email. And also that providing a report suspicious email button to staff within their Outlook application or other email client is an effective way for an organization to be quickly alerted about suspicious emails that have entered the company. 79% of the emails reported by staff in the study were correct. They truly were um, malicious emails. And 40% of these reports were submitted within 30 minutes of the email arriving into the organization. So the organization was alerted very quickly. However, some of the findings contradict previous studies, and this is the bit that I find quite interesting. For example, staff behavior is not significantly impacted if the warning message that is displayed is uh, more detailed. It appears that we don't need to invest too much time making the warning banners very descriptive or detailed. The simple ones are just as, as effective. But more interesting is the impact of bringing staff who click on a simulated phishing email to a training page and asking them to voluntarily complete some training. The study found that these staff were more likely to be fooled by subsequent simulated phishing emails compared to staff who were not shown any training page. So on the face of it, immediately informing staff that they've been fooled by a phishing email may actually make them more likely to be fooled by a phishing email in the future. The authors wonder whether this is due to a misinterpretation of the training page. In other words, whether their participants thought they were protected from a real attack and that this page had popped up as a result of a real phishing email rather than a testing simulation. Or whether it's because staff became overconfident in the organization's IT measures in general because of the fact they had been shown this training page. In other words, perhaps staff did not realize that the phishing email was a test being run within the organization, but actually thought it was a real one from a malicious actor, which the organization's IT systems were able to identify and block after the staff member had clicked on it. The study recommends further research into the impact on staff behavior if the training was mandatory as opposed to voluntary, which was the case in this study. 
But in the meantime, for those of us who deliver cybersecurity awareness training and testing, we certainly need to think about how we configure these tests. The last thing we want to do is lull staff into a false sense of security or make them believe that their behaviours do not matter. The next article this week is about how the Russian authorities shut down the operations of a major ransomware gang. It was recently announced that the Russian Federal Security Service, the FSB, raided and shut down the operations of the Revel ransomware gang. Authorities said they seized more than 426 million rubles, 600,000 US dollars and 500,000 euro in cash, along with cryptocurrency wallets, computers and 20 expensive cars. The FSB, which serves as Russia's internal intelligence agency, said it conducted its operations at the request of US authorities, which were notified of the results of the raids. The raid came after President Biden and US authorities had pressured Russian President Vladimir Putin repeatedly over the summer to crack down on the Russian underground cybercrime ecosystem, which harbors many of today's top ransomware crews. The Revel Gang was one of the most active ransomware crews last year, being responsible for the attack against JBS Foods, which impacted the meat supply across the US and Australia in May, and the attack on IT provider Kaseya during the 4th of July weekend. What's interesting here is it could be a very interesting development because in the past, the US have accused Russia of turning a blind eye to these gangs operating in their jurisdiction. So it may be one of the first times that the US and Russia have worked together to shut down one of these ransomware gangs. There's no word yet on similar operations to shut down the operations of the Wizard Spy, Wizard Spider Gang, which is said to operate from the St. Petersburg area of Russia. This is the gang behind the attack that crippled Ireland's health service last year. Perhaps the Irish government could leverage the special relationship that it claims to have with the US administration to get the gang shut down. After all, President Biden does say that he's as Irish as a pint of Guinness, even though Biden doesn't drink and Guinness is owned by an English company. The final article this week is for those who are interested in getting quick explanations of terms like metaverse, blockchain, NFTs, and smart contracts. This particular article uh, from the UPI doesn't hang about. It describes blockchain as a technology that permanently, permanently records transactions, typically in a decentralized and public database called a ledger. Less than 100 words later in the article, it gets on to defining smart contracts, calling them essentially blockchain-based software routines that run automatically when some condition is met. It gives an example of, let's say, you could use a smart contract, which says that you're willing to sell a piece of art for $1 million. If I come along with $1 million and I click agree, the artwork and the money automatically transfer ownership between us on the blockchain, with no need for a bank or third party. And if either of us were to later dispute the transaction, for example, if you claimed that I only paid you $999,000 rather than the $1 million, uh, I would be easily able to point to the public record in the distributed ledger and therefore avoiding a uh, legal situation. There are mountains of articles and white papers out there that can describe each and every one of these terms in detail. But if you don't know where to start, this particular article is a good place to begin. Two numbers this week. The first is 32%. So back to the study by the University in Zurich, 
uh, and during their 15-month study that I discussed earlier, approximately 32% of staff members clicked on at least one of the six simulated phishing emails that were sent to them during the period of the study. While the study does not mention how much cybersecurity awareness training the staff had received prior to or during the study, this statistic reminds us that staff are human and humans are flawed. So it does appear that it is inevitable that our staff defences will fail. The best that we can do is to reduce the frequency of the failure through effective training and testing and to ensure we have other defences in place to protect the organisation when these failures do occur. For example, two-factor authentication, restriction of administrator privileges and reliable backups. And if you need more on these, you can check out my guide to the basics on my codeinmotion.ie website. The second number this week is 400 million US dollars. And this is according to an article on Cointelegraph, North Korean hackers stole 400 million dollars worth of cryptocurrency in 2021, which was double the amount stolen in 2019. Cyber attackers based in North Korea, such as the Lazarus Group, primarily focused on investment firms and exchanges and used the usual range of techniques such as phishing emails, malware and social engineering to succeed. I always wondered how North Korea can fund the development of hypersonic and intercontinental rockets and to maintain one of the largest armies in the world with one million army personnel, despite being subjected to significant economic sanctions. Clearly, ransomware and cryptocurrency must play a part. After all, they're truly global and they do not understand borders. In terms of the Lazarus Group, which I mentioned just a moment ago, this group has also been blamed for the WannaCry ransomware attack in 2017, which affected nearly 200,000 computers in 150 countries, including the NHS in the UK. If you're interested in learning more about this group, which has been closely linked to the North Korean state, the BBC released a podcast series last year called The Lazarus Heist. It is a great series that describes the group's attack on Sony in 2014 and their attempts uh, to steal $1 billion from Bangladesh Bank in 2016. And one action this week, following up on the uh, study by uh, the University in Zurich, it is time for us to review our approach to phishing test simulations. As I mentioned earlier, the latest research would suggest that immediately telling people when they have clicked on a simulated phishing email may have unintended consequences. If your organization runs phishing test campaigns, it may be worth reviewing how these are set up to ensure they do not lull people into a false sense of security. And if your organization does not run phishing test campaigns, it is time you started, because if you're not testing your staff, you're waiting for the bad guys to do it for you. Okay, that's it for another week. My name is Sam Glynn of Code Emotion. I'm a cybersecurity trainer and IT advisor. My clients include regulated financial services firms and the companies that sell to these regulated firms. Until next time, take care.